This is Aspire to Lead, and I am Joshua Stamper. So excited to have my guest, PJ Capozzi, here with me. He is a dynamic speaker and transformational leader in the educational space. He is currently a superintendent, best-selling author, and administrative coach. Join us while we talk about the reflection process, moving too fast to change the culture of a school, and the myths about time management. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. PJ, thank you so much for being on the Aspire to Lead podcast. Thank you for having me, Joshua. So, PJ, I'm super excited to talk about a lot of things in regards to your leadership journey and about coaching, reflection process, time management, all of those different things. But before we dive into those leadership topics, I would love to learn a little bit about yourself and your leadership journey. Yeah. So I think like everyone else's, it's uh, been non-linear and at no point, if you ask me where I was going to be in five years, would I have been anywhere close to accurate? So um, I'll kind of give you the the boring resume version in about 30 seconds and I'll tell you the real story. But um, the entirety of my teaching career is in Chicago Public Schools, very interesting environment. Moved from there to Rockford Public Schools as an assistant principal. Uh, at the time, Rockford was the second largest urban district in Illinois. And then Rockford doesn't really have suburbs. It kind of goes an urban center to straight small town rural agriculture. Um, so I went to a district about 30 miles away as a high school principal, uh, got hired at 27, woefully um, I w- yeah, underprepared, I would say, like underprepared and probably underskilled at the time. And then uh, was able to kind of figure it out on the fly and moved over to the neighboring district as superintendent at 31. And that was, that was 10 years ago. So that's kind of the resume version. I guess the real version of like who I am would say, I'd say there's been kind of three defining events that have defined who I am as a person, as a leader. When I was 17, um, I was diagnosed with cancer for the first time, as I just kind of explained in terms of my leadership trajectory, have lived my life on fast forward. Yeah. Um, and so that's a, it's a blessing and a curse when it comes to leadership, because sometimes speed is necessary and other times speed is unwanted, even if it might be necessary. Yeah. Um, so it's brought forth its own, its own challenges. Second thing I would say was that right when my oldest sons, I have four kids, 16, 15, and then twin eight-year-olds. But when my oldest sons were, were being born was when I was teaching at, at Julian High School in Chicago. My last year there, we lost eight students to tragic death. And seeing the juxtaposition of bringing my kids into the world compared to the life my other kids were, were living has kind of compelled me to try to be a voice for the underserved and to continue to think of, you know, kind of leadership in terms of those that are typically don't have a voice or their voices are muzzled. Like it's my job, it's binary, right? Like either I amplify their voices or by not amplifying, I'm continuing to quiet them. So that's been a big part of my journey. And it's been very interesting moving to small town rural and having that philosophy. And then the third thing would be my first year as a principal, I was just really not good at the job. (laughs) So, um, and I I even said it during my interview when I was hired is they kind of asked me about my leadership philosophy and my leadership philosophy at the time. It's still part of kind of my character, just not necessarily my philosophy was that I could outread or outwork anyone. Yeah. And so I tried to program and policy our way to success and what happened, what led to a student and staff walkout in protest of me as in my leadership. Oh, wow. So, I, and I remember sitting, because I had to supervise the kids that were marching, right? Even though it was against me, it was a very awkward experience. I'm sitting on this picnic table 
and I'm 28 years old and I'm sitting there, I'm like, I've got 30 years left in this. Like, is this really what I want to do? And at that point I realized like my entire life, people had called me a leader, right? Like I was captain of everything, president of my class, the whole, you know, but I had no idea what leadership was. Like for me, leadership was getting stuff done and I could get stuff done, but I didn't understand it was about influencing hearts and minds and moving people. So at that point, sitting on that picnic bench, I can picture it like it was yesterday. I kind of realized, okay, if I'm going to be in this and I'm going to do this the right way, I've got to figure this out. And at that moment, everything kind of shifted for me. And since then I've had a lot of positive, I think, impact and, and results and relationships and no more walkouts. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, obviously you, you have a lot of success. I mean, you're a superintendent. So like, what were some changes that you put in place moving forward? I mean, I can only imagine your, your mind is spinning, sitting on a picnic bench. What were some things that you put in place as far as action steps to, to make sure that you were a more influential leader? The bottom line is I, in the first 18 months or so career coached or terminated 20% of our teaching staff in a district that had never terminated someone for performance. So on, on top of that, tried to dramatically shift our instructional focus and in, in our rigor and all of those things. And so I just kind of went back to like what I did as a teacher, which was connect with people and teach and not necessarily demand and lead and dictate. And we were able to kind of turn the ship. Now it, it's interesting because if I had it to do over, like we went from the lowest performing school in a, average achieving county to being nationally recognized in two years. We had this massive turnaround that led to really good, strong, positive results for kids. Yeah. So I would do it differently, but the end result was also really, really good. And I don't know, it created a sense of urgency. I just kind of did it in a way that was extraordinarily volatile. And like what I was doing to the SEL of the teachers at the time, I came in and brought in Danielson and I weaponized evaluation. I just did a bunch of things that were just like textbook correct in terms of education stuff, but like leadership malpractice. And so once we left all the textbook policies and programs in place that were probably good ideas and then built the culture around that, which took multiple years to repair what I had damaged, um, that started to really take off. Well, I love your transparency. And so thank you for sharing that, PJ. Because I think that happens quite often, especially as young leaders, we just kind of assume that we go in and put in our ideas and implement that as quickly as possible. And I know like the things that you went through as a 17 year old getting cancer and, and having to you know, go through that process, I can only think of the urgency just in life in general. So as a leader, as your perspective of time has changed, what do you do with your time management? Yeah, so time management is uh, my favorite topic to, to speak on. And I love it because it's somewhat agnostic, right? So I can give the same version of a, of a talk to lawyers as I could to educators. And it, it essentially applies to everything. And so my take and thesis on time management is different, I think, than most people's. And, and essentially, I think time management's an illusion. And that's a nice way of saying it. There is no such thing as time. It's just self-management, right? right? Like, so we all have the same 24 hours. We all have the same seven days. Do, do people have different capacity levels? Of course they do. Mm-hmm. But the, the bottom line is that it's about how we manage ourselves. And the ethos of what I believe in terms of time management is we can't out efficiency a lack of clear priorities. And like, there's a reason that deadlines spur action, right? Like, and it's always better when it's not an arbitrary deadline. It's not what we set, right? Like it's something that's that's objectively set forth, spurs action, because what that does is definitively clarifies the priority. Right. So the question for me, and, and when I coach and when I speak is, do we have the courage to have the conversations that will clarify the priorities in our own lives. Because my guess is, and my background as a sociology teacher, when we look at the sociological roles that we all 
fill. So like for me as father, husband, son, superintendent, coach, whatever it happens to be, there's certain expectations of behaviors that come with all of those things. And I would guess that there's a couple of things that happen in concert. One, most of those are in conflict with each other because we haven't had the conversation. So like if I wanted to be the world's best superintendent, what would that mean to me as being trying to be the world's best father? Are those two things in conflict or not? And I also tend to think that a lot of times we assign ourselves responsibilities and burdens that nobody else has assigned to us. And then we hold other people in contempt and hold resentment toward them for that. I believe every day we are either working toward clarity in our lives or perpetuating confusion. And so when I talk about time management, it's just, and when I'm doing coaching, it's just about, I'm just trying to help people find the clarity in their lives. And they could chart, everyone's smart enough to chart their own path forward. And if you want a time management tip, there's 10,000 books on Amazon and there's a million articles for free. Just go Google it. You're going to find a, a million and they're all good. They'll all work. They're just like a diet, right? Like you can use, you can do paleo, you can do Atkins, you can do keto. It all works. You just got to execute it. Um, but you're not going to execute any of them for long if you don't have a very clear understanding of what your priorities are. You've talked about you know, as a leader, kind of the speed of change and how quickly you were trying to, you know, steer your new school and, and only in a couple of years you were nationally recognized. And that's, that's amazing. But I want to talk about school change versus culture change, because it seems like every day our world is changing in drastic measures, obviously with the pandemic that shifted things too. What is it that you're doing in your district to, to work on that shift? And how are you preparing your students for jobs that don't even exist yet. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm very proud of our district and I could rattle off a list of things, but probably not enough, right? Like, I mean, that's the, um, so the bottom line for me is that I think schools need to be applauded and particularly not just schools is like the kind of arbitrary thing, but like the, the individuals within schools need to be applauded because I think schools have changed more in the last decade than they had in the 30 years prior. So I think we're we're doing a really nice job of change. The issue is that, as you mentioned before, society and culture is changing at a, an exponential rate that's quicker than how we're changing. So, yeah. so therefore, you know, quite literally, our job is to produce citizens that are going to contribute. And that's like every mission statement ever, right? And so what are we going to do to ensure that? So I think there's a couple of things. Like, one is like we can try to read the future and, and try to put schools in a position to be successful there. Even if we do that, then we probably don't have the resources to do it without extensive partnerships. So I think that's one of the things that that public schools do a really poor job of, particularly ones that are not urban centers, is finding out and, and matching the needs of industry and where it is. The second thing, it kind of goes back to kind of my thesis on time management, too, is like I think that the way that we kind of future-proof our schools is to simplify our desired outcomes, right? So I talk about five C's all the time, and I think that there's five skills that will kind of perpetuate themselves in the future. And I think if we have kids that leave and can curate information, right? Like, so like <laughs> this is epidemic of the society right now is that people don't know how to take information from multiple viewpoints, determine what is quality information, what is not, and yes. then allow their own opinions to be, to be influenced by it, right? So can they curate information and they create their own original thought? They can create their own original thought off of it. Then can they connect with others on it, right? So now can I, can I validate my thought off of you and can we go back and forth and, and have some some dialogue in terms of what is going on and then ultimately can we communicate that in multiple modalities right so if, if if we're creating kids that can curate information can think critically can create their own thoughts can communicate that and connect with others 
in any profession that they're going to go into, most likely they're going to be successful. And as we're talking about advanced technological professions, there's no way a public school is ever going to get somebody ready to go to jump right into Google, right? Like we're just probably not going to have the, the resources to be able to do that. But if, if they're used to and trained to think critically, deeply connect and communicate, most likely they're going to be okay in a multitude of professions, whether that's in the trades, whether that is not even as a profession, if that's just as a, as a partner to somebody in life, right? Like if that's just as a spouse or as a son or as a, as a father, if you can, if you can do those things, I think you're going to be successful. So for me, a lot of times I think progress is defined by stripping it down, right? Like I think that's, you know, half the schools in America call themselves PLCs, but I don't know how many actually function like a PLCs, but that's the beauty of the PLC is the four questions, right? Because it's so, it encompasses everything simply. And so instead of creating these macro, you know, school improvement plans and strategic plans, maybe it's simpler than that. Maybe we need to boil it down and find some enduring skills. And if you look at like the World Economic Forum research in terms of skills that kids need from 1995 to 2000, it hasn't really shifted much. It's critical thinking, the ability to work together and problem solve. It's not, it's not something completely different. And it's always curious to me like that those aren't what we backwards map our standards off of, right? Like we're still going off of whatever some professor or textbook manufacturer said instead. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. All right, I want to talk about one of your passions, which is coming in as a new study on leadership coaching. And I know you are a superintendent and you're probably going through lots of reflection in, in that role, but I'm curious on your study of how superintendents get coaching. Yeah, so what's occurred to me um, kind of very abruptly in a, in a two-pronged way is that in the executive world, right? Like, so if you study Fortune 500 companies, two different things kind of happen. Their boards function in different ways. It's less governance, it's more advisory. And then most of them have one or two or three executive coaches that are extraordinarily high-priced executive coaches. And I've kind of come upon this because I like to read the books of the executive coaches because I'm kind of fascinated with how it works. So I, I read about these people that are, that are doing this work. Um, and then I looked around and I'm like, all right, well, if this is how, you know, the, the most successful organizations in our country are operating, then is this how our schools are operating? Right. I look around and like in our region, we have 50 some superintendents. And I'm not sure that more than like three of us have coaches. And so the question for me then became why to look a little bit deeper and so then the, the secondary level for me was look at principles. There's more principles that have coaches, but still not in, in abundance. And then if you look at the compensation of the coaches, it's dramatically different in the private sector compared to what it is in our sector. So there's just a, a devaluing of what a, a coach can bring, which is interesting to me because we're in the height of instructional coaching, right? Like So like organizationally and programmatically, we have discovered that this is wait, if somebody allows somebody to discover the answer within themselves and and helps them to critically examine something and to do all the things we just talked about, right? Critically think, connect with somebody else, create their own thoughts and communicate, right? Like it's, this isn't intended to to merge, but it's really the same work. Right. In light of the fact that we're finding that it has dramatic positive impact in the classroom, we're not doing it at the leadership level. So I'm in kind of mid study on that. And I was prompted by the, the fact that I started to do a lot of work around reflection last year, just with my team. So not, not publicly, not speaking, not consulting, because I started asking, like, how do you guys reflect? And what everyone kind of told me is that they replay the day in their head and they kind of go through it. And 
what then I kind of rewound my life to when I was a teacher driving home from Chicago public schools. And I'm, I'm a big dude. I'm like 6'2", 260 pounds. And I had a little Chevy Cobalt, all I could afford. So I just imagine like pouring myself into the Chevy Cobalt and driving home. And that's all I did every day sure. was think about how I could be the best teacher in the world. And because I cared and I loved it and I wanted to be great. And what I realized is all I did is just replay the day in my head. And now I, I started to wonder, it's like, what would 40 year old, you know, version of myself, what conversation would I be having with 23 year old version of myself and how different would it be than what the 23 year old was doing? And to me, it was like, it'd be a massive profound difference. So a coaching again, B, I didn't know how to reflect. I didn't know how to ask myself tough enough questions to get myself to a place that wasn't just replaying the day. And so there's a book in there somewhere, right? I'm just not exactly sure how it's going to manifest. I don't know, you know, like idea one was like 180 reflective questions, right? Like, so we can on every day of the school year have a different prompt. Um, there's different things just about the research. So I don't know which way it's going to go or if it's even going to go. Right. Um, but that's kind of the, the project that I'm working on uh, right now, just kind of conceptually trying to flush out what it would look like to be consumable because by nature, this topic is deep, right? Like the, the only way reflection works is to get to a point of somewhat like of discomfort internally to get ourselves to think and, and view the world in a different um, light than we did before. And I think what we're seeing just again, as a societal and culture right now is that what people are doing is it's very easy to, to find data and opinions to support your own pre-existing supposition yeah. um, than it is to push yourself to try to see things through a different one. Are you excited that in-person conferences are back? I know I am. In fact, I'm excited to announce that I'll be at the 2022 Teach Better Conference this October 14th and 15th in Akron, Ohio. I'll be recording episodes live in Podcast Row, attending sessions, speaking, and connecting with a whole bunch of amazing educators. It would be awesome if you could join us. Head over to teachbetterconference.com slash register and use the code ASPIRE2022 to save $50 off your two-day registration. I hope to see you in October. Obviously, you have a very important job. I mean, you're in charge of an entire district. So, you know, going through your study and, and looking at the reflection process, are there things that you do each day to kind of help flush out your own practices and if they're successful or if you need to make changes? So I, it's interesting because I like the, the right answer here is I meditate, I think, right? Like, I think that's supposed to be the answer and I'm just bad at it. Like I, I, and I've tried and I've done all the studies and I've gone to classes. The only time I think I actually get truly close to like a meditative state um, is like post a difficult cardio workout while my body is cooling down my brain. Like that's when my brain goes to that spot, um, which is great. And I kind of crave it now. And it's been very good for me health wise but that's not the way it's supposed to work. Right. Like that's like, nobody says like, try to kill yourself on a treadmill for half hour. And then meditate. But that's how, how it works for me. Right. So for, for me, the thing that I, I do the most is I just connect with people that I find fascinating inside and outside the world of education, inside and outside of what you think of typical schooling, like a lot of our, our vendor partners and whatever else. And I try to connect with people that see the world differently that are going to ask me difficult questions and that allow me to ask them difficult questions because what I found as a coach of others is that I get as much benefit out of the relationship as they do, I think, by learning what they're doing, learning their thought process, as um, seeing some of their blind spots for them and then realizing that might be a blind spot for me or seeing something that they do like that's truly great, like a really difficult, complex task that they do so simply right. um, that I struggle with. And then that helps me point out those things. So for me, if, if you're going to reflect 
you can do the work internally. It's just exceptionally hard. For me, reflection is best done with the world, right? Like, and so whether that's with amazing content you're consuming, positive content, not necessarily social media content, right? Or like like a podcast like this or a book, or if it's with with people that you're connecting with, to me, that's when I get into, you know, whatever that state of flow is, right? Like where I feel like truly creative and thoughtful and and can move forward and do some things that are tangible and pragmatic. So you talked about the coaching process. If there's someone that's listening right now and they think, okay, I'm, I'm struggling, maybe I'm a new leader, new principal, similar to yourself, and they're looking for a coach, is that something that you do? Yeah, it, it's absolutely something I do in the absence of trying to be too self-promotional. Almost every state association, whether it be a principal's association or a association of school administrators also do that work. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them are going to have a little different tact, right? Like, so, um, and when I coach for some of them, then I follow what their curriculum would be when I coach independently, I've got a little bit more aggressive and direct approach. So the reason I kind of dovetail to there is that like the coaching relationship matters, yeah. right? Like I, I find like, I obviously believe I'm a skilled coach, right? Like, but the, the people who coach me the best, I know would not work with some of my people that I lead, sure. right? Like, and I don't know if it's my experience. Like I had a, you know, very strong father, you know, that pushed me very difficult and, I was an athlete and, you know, coaches were different back in the day, right? Yeah, like, so definitely. you can talk to me a certain kind of way and it's not, it's, it's not, it's going to get through to me and I'm not going to hold the grudge. Right. right. And um, I try to middle that a little bit, but be as, as aggressive and assertive with the questions, maybe a little kinder, but that's not for everybody. Right. Like, so I think the coaching relationship matters so dramatically much um, because a great coach is a great coach, but it's not going to be a great coach for everybody or the perfect coach for someone. Right. Like, um, and I go to different, I have two coaches. I go to them for different things and different elements of my life. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I go around the same thing just to get the different perspectives to push me to think a little bit differently than, than I would. And I think like, there's also like, if you can't afford your district's not going to pay for a coach, then you can just create these relationships with your friends, right? Like, there, there are friends that I can call up and run something by and they can tell me I'm being really arrogant or they can tell me I'm I'm not seeing the other side of it or how about, and that's a friend, right? Like someone that's truly care, cares about me and is doing it. With, and, you know, whether that's over a beer or that's just on the, the call home, like there are people out there that are more than willing to do that for free for you. And so like a lot of times the barrier is like, well, my district won't pay for it. Like that doesn't mean that you can't have it. It just means you won't have a formal relationship. Um, and, and you can still benefit from the, the interaction and reflection. So let's talk about you speaking, because I know this is probably a busy season for you. You're, you're running all over the country. So when you're keynoting, what are some favorite things that you love to speak about? So the time management one's my favorite. Um, and that's like, I love it as a keynote, but I love it more as the six hour, right? Like, cause we can actually get deep and do some, do some work in a full um, kind of workshop. The, the popular one right now um, in I, is, I think a lot of people are kind of doing a version of it is kind of like the reignite the spark, trying to, you know, prevent teacher burnout and and inspire what next year might look like. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I think a lot of people need to hear right now. And also, and also want to hear. So that's, that's very popular. And then obviously there's just the the typical general motivational type stuff. The work that I, I tend to do most often in districts is around the concept of um, like, I do a lot of the strategic planning stuff, but the thing that I enjoy the most is I come in, I do a culture assessment. Um, and the reason I enjoy it the most is because it's multiple days and I feel like I'm doing real work, right? Like, so 
Uh, I think any consultant that comes on or speaker, like they're like, if you get a standing ovation after a speech, man, like it feels awesome. Like I am not, I am not going to tell you it does not feel awesome and feed your ego. But then like on the flight home, you're like, I, you know, like my supposition is always, if I get 1% of the, the, the crowd to truly move, that was probably a successful speech. Right. But if I can go in for multiple days and I do a culture assessment, I talk to all the stakeholder groups and, and give a, a deep understanding of this is where you're actually at in terms of the typical behaviors of your organization and help them plot something forward, then I feel like I'm doing real work that's benefiting kids in, in, in school. So that's by far my favorite thing to do because it's a real relationship. Again, the speaking is great and it's a rush and and like people need to be motivated, right? Like that's, there's not discounting that at all, but it's it's different than really helping a district project forward. So PJ, as we end our conversation, I'd love to pick at your brain for an actual item for our aspiring leaders. So if someone's listening and they can do something tomorrow, next week, the beginning of the school year, you know, what can they do to enhance their leadership skills? I would say answer two questions. So it kind of fits with the theme of, of reflection and kind of self-discovery. First question is what are you willing to get fired for? So how hard are you willing to push and what are the things that you want to um, push that you're, you're willing to do whatever it takes to get done? Because if you answer that, it's going to bring you clarity, right? Like clarity versus confusion. The, the second question that I, I ask everyone is, is not what do you want to be in five years, not where do you want to be in five years, but who do you want to be in five years? Because I think that's a much different and much, much more difficult question to answer. And so the the concept of that is, and this kind of goes with the last book that, that I wrote, is that we are unfinished products, right? Like, and there is no best version of ourselves. There's just the next version of ourselves. Yep. So if we can embrace that, we're just kind of on this constant journey of being incredibly fallible, mistake-ridden people that are trying their best to get better. And there's going to be a next better version of us uh, moving forward. And we understand who that person is that we want to project toward. Then I think it helps us make some really difficult leadership decisions, right? Like, so this isn't about strategic planning. This isn't, this is about questions of integrity, right and wrong, how we're going to treat people, um, those types of things. Uh, And so if you can answer who you want to be in five years and what you're willing to be fired for as you start the year, I think you're going to set yourself up for a lot of success. PJ, if someone is listening, they want to connect with you on social media or, you know, bring you in as a coach or a speaker, how can they do that? My website is just my name, www.pjcaposi.com. And then you can find me on, like, I think every social media platform or the vast majority of social media platforms at MCUSD Soup. And I'm one of the ones that goes to the SUPE. There's the division in the superintendent crowd, is whether it's SUPT or SUPE. But I am, I'm an SUPE er, so MCUSD Soup SUPE. It's the, it's the GIF or the GIF, right? I mean, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, PJ, it's, it's been an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. I, I feel like I've, I've gained so much wisdom just in this conversation. I, I know my listeners will feel the same way. I will, of course, have links to your social media and then also to your books. I, I just think you are doing some phenomenal things in education, and, and I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to speak with you today. It was super fun. I appreciate the opportunity.